You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. Each week, you'll hear from remarkable guests who have overcome challenges and obstacles to succeed in the face of adversity. By listening to their stories, you'll get practical tips, tools, and resources you can implement today to bust through your own internalized prisons of worry and doubt. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hey there, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. And this month, March of 2023, is a milestone month for us here at the podcast. It's my fifth year of doing the podcast. So way back in 2018, I decided I wanted to do a podcast. I had come to the name No Labels, No Limits um, because I realized how often there would be ideas either in a group or in my own life where I'd have an idea or someone would and someone else would immediately start talking about why that couldn't work. And yet all around me, I saw examples of people doing exactly the thing we were talking about. So I set out to have a podcast where I could share the stories of other people to help show examples of those who have gone before, might still be in the messy middle, but who have kind of overcome or walked through the obstacles that stood in front of them to end on the other side and be able to look back and say, here's some of my takeaways. When I looked back at the first episodes that I ever did, I looked at the names of people and I was so gratified to see that many of those folks, actually all of them were people in my inner circle, people I knew had known for a while, had admired, um, for different reasons, you know, some I've known for decades, some a shorter time, but each person that I interviewed brought something unique. But what they really did was they brought self-confidence to me because they showed me that when I asked, people would stand up and say, sure, we'll walk with you. And isn't that what it's about is walking alongside other people as we each grow and learn. So for this first episode of March, what I've done is gone back to 2018, that very first month of March, and I've taken clips Now, the first time we went out, the first month, we actually had a lot of episodes. We had eight episodes plus the original short, um, you know, zero, zero, zero episode where I just announced the podcast. And I I was so um, warmed to look at the conversations we had and think about these folks and how their lives and my life have changed in the intervening years. But I pulled some clips that I thought were particularly interesting, um, very relevant still today. And I'm going to share those with you this week. Next week, I'm going to look at 2019, following 2020, 21 and 22. And so by the end of March, we'll have little clips um, that highlight my guests for each of the weeks of the podcast in our anniversary month. So with that, I'm going to just dive right in. So the first episode I ever did with a guest was with my friend, Sherry Jamison. 
And you can go back and listen to the full episode. But at the time, I had known Sherry in a professional capacity for good 20 years. Um, we both worked in the nonprofit sector before I went into consulting, also staying with the nonprofit sector. And she has had a long career of making huge changes, both in our local community, as well as having statewide impact through her work with the legislature and um, shifting how people think about food, food security and moving it from a short-term stopgap to really thinking holistically. But in this particular part of the interview, I'm talking to Sherry about how she would describe a time in her life where she needed to make a change, um, do something that was big and scary for her, what it was like, and her thinking processes around that. So this is officially the start, and I want to thank you for being our first official podcast oh guest. I know, you are. The reason I'm excited about you is I've known you a number of years. I consider you someone who is fearless and who has made a lot of changes, some microscopic, that have had impact on other people's lives. But I've also watched you kind of just march ahead in your own life, even when you're nervous about things and do what needs to be done. And frequently what's right, because it benefits others as well as yourself. So thanks for being podcast number 001, first out. I am so honored. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'm going to be um, asking you just a few questions, and we'll see where it leads, and I'm going to follow your lead. But because this podcast targets women who are similarly trying to make changes, thinking about changes, maybe nervous about making a change, that whole transition piece, I thought I'd ask you to describe a time that you um, wanted to make a change or go after something big that was scary for you and it, and just what that was like for you and maybe your process around that. Well, there have been many. And um, earlier on, you know, 35 years or so ago, um, leaving Canada to come back to the U.S. when my husband at that time was leaving a, you know, a really good job with an internationally known company uh, to strike out on his own in a field that was totally different and, you know, so different. And I, I knew that I had to be giving 150% too. That was pretty scary because I didn't know if, if we had the capacity to be successful at it. We were moving from a place that we'd lived for a long time to a place where we knew nobody to start a new business. What were we thinking? You know, that kind of a thing. Um, and that had its own struggles and... Um, and I learned something about myself then. I mean, I think the upbringing that I had, and you've heard me talk about my dad, you know, always saying to me, you can do whatever you want to do and be successful at it, um, is really what held me up through a lot of those scary decisions. But I think the most recent one, you know, be, leaving a job that I have spent most of my adult life at, um, and shifting to something that is very similar. I'm, I'm still at the food bank and still in the field, my, my chosen field. Um, that whole transition was was pretty scary. And, and you walked side by side with me through it, so you, you know exactly how scary it was. But it just really felt like the right thing. And I think 
you reach a point in your heart when you know that this is the next step you have to take. So, um, so that's kind of held me up. I, I knew I was doing the right thing, uh, and you have to just step out in faith because you don't know what it's what the what's going to happen cascading from that decision. But trust that you have the wisdom to make the choices that will make it successful. I, that's that's all I can say. I mean, even if you're terrified, you know that you have the capacity to discern what what the next step it will be. So, and I don't know if that answered your question or it not. It does answer my question. It it raises another one um because I think part of that is was that a simple thing or did you have limiting beliefs or any kind of obstacles that you had to work through just in your own, you know, the chatter in our heads sometimes? <laughs> yes, I do know do you that. Know sometimes. that chatter? Yeah. And I, you know, I think in many of the things that I've done, I've had a certain amount of confidence in my ability to do it. And then in the, you know, the three o'clock in the morning moments when you think, I just am not prepared for this, I don't know enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not this enough, or I'm not that enough, or, you know, when when you've, you've and people do this all the time, you have that thought, you know, they're going to peel it back and discover that I'm a fraud, <laughs> you know. But um, I think in the daylight always balances out those dark thoughts in the middle of the night. And we are enough. I mean, we know enough. We wouldn't have gotten to where we are today if we didn't know enough. So, uh, so those are some of the dark and scary thoughts. I think one of the darkest and scariest things was when I div- my husband, my first husband and I were divorced and I suddenly became the sole support of my children. And I had that flash of insight of, oh my gosh, this is how men frequently feel when they become parents and have this family to support. Well, that was my job then, and I all I could do was hope that I was up to it. You know, I, I, it was it was a very frightening thought. But that when you talk about scary thoughts, that was I think that was one of the scariest. So the next guest on our podcast, episode number two, is Meg Price. Now, Meg and I go back many years as well. I've known her in a professional capacity. I've worked with her through my organizations, um, as well as being friends and spending time on a golf course together where we started not playing that great and ended having many, many great rounds. I wouldn't say we played that great at the end either, but a lot of fun. Now, in this particular segment of Meg's interview, I'm asking her to talk about when we know it's time to make a change in our life and how we get there, how she has done that in her own life. So I'm thinking about a a particular individual who has um, recently reached out to me. I haven't talked to her for a little while, but she recently reached out. She's just going through a really hard time. She has, she's been on that road. She has a goal. Mm-hmm. She's been working towards it and has had a number of setbacks. And her question was, how do you stay motivated? And so I said, you know, I will, let mm-hmm. me, let's talk basically is what I said. But the other thing I thought about is that is often 
you know, sometimes when we feel those obstacles or challenges or mm-hmm. whatever, if we're mm-hmm. not seeing it as an opportunity, how do we not lose sight of where we're really wanting to go mm-hmm. and not necessarily get hung up on how we get there, but mm-hmm. just stay in that direction? And where we're going might evolve. That's the other thing is that, you know, sometimes if I keep myself focused on one thing, I, I miss the opportunities that are along the way. And so it's being able to see all that stuff that's coming in from all different sides and maybe making those corrections along the way so that maybe where I was headed isn't a straight line, it's a zigzag line or it's a curved line. It's not a, it's not a direct line. And it may not even lead to where you thought you were headed. You know, it, it, to me, it's it's an evolution, and it's a. Um, I used to tell clients, it's like it's like the old game of hot, hot, cold. You know, you go in, and, and you know, you have hot, hot, cold as a kid, and some. You, I'm thinking of something in the room, and you start to move around the room, and you know, okay, you're you're hot, you're hot, and then you move away. No, you're cold, you're cold because you're moving away from whatever it is. And I would tell them, you go into that first job, and you look for the hot direction. Um, you're not married to a job. I remember when I first left, when I left the community college and opened my business, I met with another, another friend, another counselor, and she said to me, Meg, what are you going to do the next time when the honeymoon is over? And I said to her, I said, I didn't know I was married to my job. You know, and so you're not married to a job. So you look for, you know, you look for what's hot in the job, you know, what you like, what are the good things, and what's cold. And so when you go to make a, you go to make a decision to move in the next direction, you move in the hot or the warm direction, not in the cold direction. You leave as much of the cold behind it and move as much towards the heat as you can. So it sounds like you actually have a pretty simplified way that helps people to not get bogged down in too much what if, what if, what if. It's mm-hmm. more, does this feel better? Mm-hmm. Does this feel better? Right. And moving towards that which it, you experience or is more interesting or it just is however that you It allows for that. that evolution and not knowing. And not knowing helps you to move forward. When you know stuff, it, 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 it get, to me, it gets in the way. It's like, you know, why bother then if I already know? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's not knowing. So no curiosity. Uh, curiosity to me is, is, you know, I think that was one of the questions that you had given me as a, um, in preparation for this was, you know, what would I say to a younger self? And it's, be, and I always have been curious. Um, got me in trouble sometimes too, but um, as a young person. But, <laughs> but being curious is, you know, uh, just about anything and everything. Our next clip is from Amy Petit Colvin. The funny thing about Amy, and I didn't realize that my relationship with her had gone way back to this part of our podcast because we've re-interviewed her recently because she's been doing amazing work um, in the kindness, mindful meditation, um, self-compassion area for years now. And it just feels to me like it's been a shorter amount of time that I've known her. But I was so happy to look back and see that I've known Amy and she was actually a pioneer on the No Labels, No Limits podcast walking alongside me. So in this particular clip, um, I'm asking her what helped her get out from her comfortable position in her career and go down the path that was really the path of her heart. Listen in. Well, you were still working in your corporate role, um, which had some predictability to it, I imagine. Mm-hmm. What was that like to change from that to going into something you didn't know, right? 
I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. And there is. Did you leave that job or did you try and do both or? That's a great question. I did a little bit of both for a while. So I got my feet wet teaching meditation actually in that corporate setting. And just by, I mean, the, the biggest thing was getting, getting the feet wet. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, can I really do this? And when I found that I could do it, and I called up a friend of mine, a, a longtime student of the same meditation teacher, and I, I knew that he used to teach meditation at a university in the Southeast. And I said, how did you get started? And he said that our teacher, whose name is Leong, he said that Leong just said, follow your heart and you do the right thing, <laughs> which sounds really basic and it isn't necessarily practical in all cases. But so I got my feet wet teaching in corporate, but then making that transition, um, I actually gave myself and my husband a year's notice so that I could put together a, a reasonable financial plan so that I could put some money into savings so that it wouldn't be springing it on him so that he gets into a flustered panic of, oh my gosh, we're losing this stable income. And having that year of time also allowed me to really think about and try on different ideas to see what I thought might work and what, what might not work. So the, the biggest challenge, honestly, the biggest challenge for me was letting go of that stable income. And what helped me get through that was having the faith that I could help people in a bigger, broader way. I really am about empowering people to help themselves. And it's, you know, what I teach, some of it seems to be common sense and some of it might be new ideas but I liked that idea of helping people help themselves. And so I had tremendous faith in what my intention to do was. was. Um, in reality, yeah, the money hasn't exactly been what I hoped it might be. But the other piece of it is recognizing that patience is a virtue and that there is a process. And talking with other people who have started their own businesses Realizing that I'm not alone in the process of it taking time, realizing that it might be two or three years before I actually have replacement income for what I shifted out of and being comfortable with that. Again, because I made some pragmatic choices around creating a savings buffer. So I didn't take that leap and go, uh oh, how am I going to pay the mortgage? Now, Brandy Anderson, she is an amazing woman. I met her in 2015, which, you know, goes back a few years also. She was a marketing, still is. She has a really great marketing business. But I met her as she was working on a campaign. And the thing that drew me to Brandy was how genuine she is, her vivaciousness, her can-do attitude. And it was heartwarming to learn what she has been through, um, which hasn't been um, always comfortable or easy, but she's always taking a different view of it and thinking about others. So in this take, I'm asking her how she's taken the lessons that she's learned um, in those really dark or difficult times and applied them in her life as she's gone forward. How have you taken the lessons that you learned in that really crucible time? That's probably more intensity than 
people will feel, right? Both the mm -hmm. intensity of an election and then on top of that, really the whole life-changing experience with your son. How have you taken what you learned there forward and what, how do you see that in your life now? The most important thing that I learned and the thing that drives me the most, I'm a, you know, like I said, I'm a very principled person in the things that I'm passionate about. I realize that the only thing that I can control, that anyone can control in their life, is how you move through life, the decisions you make, the actions that you take, and the way that you apply those decisions and actions to the community around you with whatever intention you have. The rest of it can be chaos at any time, and so you have to be authentic to yourself and understand that don't waste time trying to control everybody else. The only thing you can control is the investment in controlling your own decisions and actions. So I'm going to make you dig a little bit more on that because that's something I think people hear, right? And certainly it took me a number of years to actually go from hearing it and cognitively understanding it to actually feeling that shift, right? When you know that you're at that moment where you could make you could choose to get upset about something and yet your things slow down enough where you actually go, I don't want to be upset. You know, right. that's just not that big a deal. So for you, how does, how do you do that? I mean, like, it's really like the ABCs of how do you let go and know what you can control and not. Right. Um, you know, a lot of it for me is to give myself some, some space when I have an impulse to, to do something or to worry about something or to act, you know, do something that scares me or that I'm not sure of, I always give myself the space to think about it, let my gut kick in, get some different opinions, and don't be impulsive about my actions or about the things I say. Um, one, one thing that I've I've realized in my life, and it took me a long time to learn and be disciplined at this, is that the words that you say and you put out into the universe or that you in, inflict on or empower people with, they matter and they stick. And once you say them, if they weren't said with the right intent, you lose control of them it's out there. And then it's like, you know, mold or cancer or, or, or maybe, you know, a flowering bush, you lose control of that. If you didn't have enough self introspective to think about what could go right and what could go wrong. And really, why does it matter? You know, why, why does this matter? And so one of the things that I, I remember the most from my son's three years in cancer treatment, in fact, it was 1155 days to be exact, was that there's no benefit to questioning why this is happening to us. There's absolutely no benefit in that. And so what I intentionally decided to do was look around and see what was happening to us and how it was affecting others and studying that because we, what I realized in one of my favorite metaphors was our experience was like the big rock in the middle of the pond, the big splash, but the ripple effect of what had happened to our family. And then all of the amazing things that came about during that three year healing period was much larger 
than the rock that got thrown in the pond and um, learning to really appreciate, you know, people were affected by my son's cancer that I've never met before. You know, it, it changed their lives. It changed their intention. It changed their, the way that they treated people. And that was really um, inspiring and empowering for me because I realized this happened to us for a reason. So let's treat it accordingly. And don't waste time questioning. Uh, Michelle Yuzhiski. Episode number five was also with a dear friend. We actually go back way longer when um, I first had moved to this area. And both of us met because we were working on child um, advocacy work working on missing and exploited kids. And she was with a school district at the time and I was with a child abuse prevention nonprofit. So we came together, I met her for the first time there and we've been fast friends ever since. So that's going on 30 years plus. She is an amazing woman. Um, and there's much that I could talk to Michelle about, but in this clip, I asked her to think about how she makes decisions because she's made big decisions and career jumps in her life. So I've asked her to talk about that. I will tell you up front that the day that we recorded, we were having terrible weather. And so there's parts of the recording, you'll be able to hear it in the sound quality. Um, but part of the recording is a, it may sound a little hard to hear. Um, but I, I listen to Michelle and it always grounds me um, because she is so genuine and has done so many different things in her life. But now if you listen to this clip, you're going to understand how she thinks through things and, and takes those steps that seem pretty gigantic. It's easy in retrospect for us to think, to be able to say things like, well, I knew that it wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. But I know there are folks who are saying, how do you even figure out that difference between where you are right now and where you want to be. Do you, are you the kind of person that does, here's the pros and cons list? What is your process, I guess, is what I'm asking you, or is there a particular tool or thought process that would help folks? That's a really good question. Um, I don't necessarily follow some kind of model, but I do, I am a list person. I'm a crazy list person, you know, in the morning, at night, um, pros and cons, I live by lists. And I always try and think, what's the worst case scenario? For instance, leaving the Senate, what's the worst that could happen? Well, worst that can happen was my business didn't take off. And I, I come back in some role, either there or someplace else, uh, and, and make it work. And that's okay, but I won't know until I try. So it was having that courage. But I did the, the worst case scenario, best case scenario, everything in between, and just continually talked it out drew it out, what would it look like, what would it sound like, um, but try the world, we ended up with 128 races that we partnered with worldwide, and initially, I was knocking on doors to say, you know, this is the service we offer, would you be interested, and this was before I left the Senate, and race directors kind of hemmed in hot and thought, well, you know, it would be nice to not have to answer all these travel questions, and just pawn them off, so to speak, on you, and I thought, great, and then it evolved to where the race directors were contacting me and saying, will you partner with our event? So I started to see that change and that potential. And that's when I knew if I didn't push jump, it, somebody else would have run with it and I would have lost that opportunity and been sitting 
at the Capitol. Not a bad place to be, I have to say, but wondering what it should have, could have, what would have happened had I had the courage to do that. So I did think through a lot of, um, in all the change that I worked through, what, what's the absolute worst that could happen? And then what's the best that could happen? If this comes to fruition, what would that look like? What would that feel like, sound like? Um, what would that what would that experience be like? So you got concrete in your thinking. Yeah. Again, absolutely. Next up is another Michelle, Michelle Stifers. Now, Michelle, I've also known a long time. Like I said, I went to the folks that I knew and respected and have known. And Michelle is one of those people. Um, she is someone that realized how much she hadn't been comfortable in her own skin and how her dependence on her then husband um, had kind of kept her, I don't want to say small, but um, in her words, she would have said clingy and needy and, and which is not who or how she is today, but really how she evolved from that. Um, and I start by asking her how she learned to become comfortable with herself. And listen in as Michelle talks to you about that process. I was so um, reliant on people before for my own happiness, you know, relied on my mom. And I immediately got, I got married at 19. I went right from my parents to my husband. And um, he used to tell me, and I didn't understand at the time, I do now, that being married to me was, he said sometimes he felt more like my father than my husband. And I, that made no sense to me at the time. But now I know what he means because I was very clingy and needy and like relying on him. Like I could do nothing myself. You know, I wanted to go with him. If he went to the store, I wanted to go, you know. And um, it's, my marriage now is completely opposite of that completely opposite it's like I'm gonna go do this and I, I don't know it's just it's comfortable I'm comfortable being with myself where that was never the case before. when did you notice that change to being comfortable with yourself was it gradual or did you just wake up one day and go comfortable? <laughs> it was gradual <clears throat> when we were first divorced I we we had the kids we um, switched three days on three days off and before I was with my kids 24 seven, you know, he would go to work usually in the morning before I even woke up, usually came home after I was already asleep and the kids were with me 24 seven. So to go from having them always to, you know, first we were going to do every two weeks and I was like, there's no way. <laughs> and then every other week, and then we came on three days on three days off. Um, at first those three days were torture for me. Like I, I, that's when I would go on my three-day <laughs> drives. Um, I couldn't just stay home and do something. I, you know, I would always want to go out or, you know, go for a drive or be with people constantly. And it was probably about a year and a half in. It took a long time. I think it was gradual. I started really enjoying the three days. I missed my kids, of course. But I really would take those three days and just work on me. You know, maybe I'd read my books. Maybe, you know, I would just do things for me. Maybe I'd go work out. or And I started enjoying being alone instead of being terrified of it. And so I started staying home and, you know, just doing my own thing. And, and now I look forward to that. <laughs> I look forward to, I have to have that. I call it kind of my recharge days. Like I need a day to myself. I love you all. 
everyone in my family, but I need a day to myself, and I don't feel guilty about it. So I think that's an important thing that I was just going to ask you, because that's a shift from feeling good about taking that time for yourself. Also, not to gloss over at the time that you were learning to be with yourself, you were still growing a business. Yeah. Right? Oh, because yeah. Because this wasn't like you had your time and you were in a cocoon and you could just kind of chill. No. <laughs> you were out building a business. Right. right? I had to... Um, I went to work for a salon that... At the time, it was my ex-husband, because he knew I needed to do this. He did trade out. He had an advertising agency, so he did trade out for this salon. Um, he did a logo for them and um, letterhead at the time that we used to use that. <laughs> for a uh, trade out for a year's worth of rent for me. So it gave me time to build my business. And um, generally, it takes, I would say, two to three years to you know build a clientele to... Um, do hair. I was so motivated and I'm always a really shy introverted person so I don't even know who that person was but I was motivated by fear and I wanted this to be a career because I didn't want to have to go do a desk job where I was stuck. The fear of a desk job. The fear of a desk job, yes. Like that was a big fear. I hated that job so much. And so um, I just, you know, word of mouth is how I built my business. I would tell my clients I'm not, I'm not real good at doing like punch cards or, you know, anything like that. I just said, if you refer me, the person comes in and, um, just remind me at your next appointment, did so-and-so come and see you and I'll give you a free haircut. And cause I didn't want to keep track of, you know, punch cards or 10%. And I just was like a free haircut and people love that, especially my clients that had short hair that had to get it cut quite often, you know, every um, I had this one client. She was awesome. She uh, she had a pretty strong personality, and she would need a haircut. She would look around her office and go, hey, go see this girl. <laughs> and she had free haircuts for like eight months. She sent me so many people. That's how motivated she was. The next person we're going to hear from, episode number seven, is Kim Young. Now, Kim also has a long uh, professional background. But specifically, I met Kim because she's a personal trainer. And that was my first entree to her. And she worked a lot with law enforcement who were either training for fitness or um, had been injured and wanted to get back in shape. She's also been a professional bodybuilder. Um, now she's a concierge trainer and really works with people out of her home, but customizes it to their bodies and wherever they are in their journey for physical wellness. I asked Kim to talk about a time in her life where she faced a major change or challenge that was both unplanned and undesired and how she handled it. You might be surprised um, to her takeaways from when she lost everything in the flood of 1997 here in our region. I thought I'd start by asking you um, to share a time in your life where you faced a major change that was unplanned and undesired, and how you handled that. Yeah, it was uh, <clears throat> the flood of uh, 1997, and I was living in Hidden Valley at the time, and of course uh, my house was at the very lowest level, the water table, you know, was always really high. Uh, in my yard just gardening and that sort of thing but when we got hit with that uh, flood my house had over two feet of water probably closer to three and a half feet of water inside 
and um, consequently I lost every single thing I own except maybe the pajamas on my back and I was able to escape with my car it had a lot of damage but I was able to at least fix that um, <clears throat> and when you're faced with the challenge of okay so where am I gonna live um, how am I gonna pay my mortgage rent a place pay two power bills um, eat and all these kind of things you, you're faced with uh, and how where do I begin to start all over and I thought well what you do is you get up and you, you I was a trainer at Swiss training at that time and on the weekends I bartended uh, at the Hilton and it was valleys back then I guess just kept going as far as paying bills keep pressing on and I faced a lot of challenges um, insurance company well which was FEMA I didn't want to pay and that sort of thing uh, but it, it turned out in a positive light because what I realized is um, all those things that I used to consider so important I the, the designer jeans or uh, expensive handbags and all these things that literally uh, didn't exist in my life anymore really weren't that important and it used to be oh I have to have the best of this I have to have that and you know and, and when you're faced with having virtually nothing you realize that you can't take it with you when you go anyway I mean so all you have is yourself and you can apply yourself in a positive light and believe me, positive people, high energy uh, church people that are, um, you know, really a blessing in disguise because they give you that positive light to follow and you're not in a shadow. You're always um, surrounded by positive, which brings you up. And you realize that every day I have the power to make this change. And only I can do it. Nobody's going to do it for me. So you know you get your strength and then of course I think with the personal training having my body and physical strength in good shape then I've just applied it to my mind so if I can make that strong as well wow that's a powerful you know a win-win situation the next guest that was on the podcast episode number eight is Nancy Brown now I met Nancy in a professional capacity you know she's one of those people you meet them and you look at them and you get this gut sense that they've always been on top of things. They know how things work. They figured them out because she comes across as very competent and grounded and um, self-confident. And she got a lot done. And you'd be in a meeting with Nancy. She'd be the person, okay, so what's the plan? She'd be getting things going. However, um, when I got to know Nancy, I learned that was not always the case for her. And so she talks about how she went from a dark time in her life to really finding herself and blooming, blossoming and becoming um, a woman, not only that was successful, but who was looked up to when she changed how she approached her career. And it was in her mid forties. It's a super inspirational little clip from Nancy. So I lived in an abusive situation in my life for 16 years and, you know, it's really strange because it wasn't a cycle. It wasn't the way my life was when I was a child. But I think I lived in the era where, I mean, if a woman was good enough, they could do things to change things and please those that they loved. And um, for those that have been in abusive situations or 
uh, wonder why women stay in abusive situations. Um, it wasn't finances. I could take care of myself. It was, I think, the feeling of obligation that I can do better and I can create change. And then um, I think it was a, a mental trap. And then I think about um, a little while later, I started, you know, started to realize, you know, what can I do to change things? Because as a youth, I was always outgoing, energetic, always excited about things. And so this 16 years was like a void in my life, a black period. And so I think I say that because I want women to believe that things don't have to continue, that you can, you can move out of those kind of situations. You know, that's really hard. I mean, that's very personal to share. But what's interesting is when you talk to your, about yourself as a young, as a, you know, a teenager and a young girl, that's actually how I experience you today, that energy and vivaciousness. Mm-hmm. So what happened that helped you get from there to the next stage, to the next transition? I don't know if I can put my finger on it. I, I always worked very hard at my job. I did a good job, and I think at one point, because my focus was on my job and my home life was so terrible, that's where I could excel. And so I wanted to advance. Somehow I wanted to advance from being a, um, you know, working in the teller line, but how could I move up the ladder? Um, it was a time when computers, laptops became, I'm not laptops, personal computers came into being, and I said, I want to get one of those and I want to learn. And I think that I, I was um, right at the cusp in the beginning. And I think what it did for me was build confidence and the ability for me to express myself in a way, write uh, my biography, I mean, my resume and do things that I couldn't do before. And it was a great tool for me to move. I, I was able to um, write a resume and apply for an in-house job in a way no one ever did it before. And I got the job. So it was my first entree to a leadership position. And I felt really good. I felt like, oh my God, I've got something going and I felt good about it. I felt like I hadn't before. Even though my personal life was still not good, I felt like I was moving up. I had always been overlooked for advancement and and job opportunities. So it was kind of self-defeating that I thought I wasn't good enough. And when that happened, it it seemed to change my life. It seemed to give me the boost. And I think the message to me is that, you know, it's never too late. I think I was in my 40s, my late mid-40s. All these women in front of that were my age were excelling. And I was still where I was at. But it was never too late. I started excelling at a, a later age. And I think I'm excelling more so than women my age are at the end of their career. Or have I don't see them around anymore. The last clip that I'm going to share with you for this week's episode is from another longtime friend, Bobby Albano. Um, Now, when I met Bobby, she was working in government and at a local level, really helping government, a government organization do management and fiscal. And, um, but I knew her because she would be out in the community talking to the frontline workers and just always a can do attitude. She knew how, she knew, like I like to say, she knew how to get around the barn a different way if it was possible. But in this clip, I'm talking to Bobby about how she made a big change from a very secure position to one that was from the outside looked risky, you know, to her friends and family and what that meant for her in doing that. 
And that was a change from what you were doing when I first met you. And Mm -hmm. that was Mm -hmm. a different path. You had to do other learning and stretching yourself there. How did that come about? Well, you know, I spent so many years working for the government and doing analytical work. Um, I, I was a budget analyst, a financial analyst, program analyst, and that's what I'd done for many, many years. It was a safe path when I was in college. I had other interests, but I chose to study uh, business administration because it was safe. And I knew I could get a job and I knew I could support myself. I didn't have a lot of family support, so I knew I had to choose something that was safe. Anyway, I spent a lot of years doing that for the government. And I want to say this too, I'm extremely risk adverse. I'm not someone who likes to take a lot of risks. However, when you when you have a risk adverse person, what you'll find is that what appears to be risky behavior is something that is completely well thought out. In my case, I had made a decision that I had worked in a nine to five job for as long as I wanted to. So I decided that I wanted to do something that I wanted to do, something that uh, would bring me enjoyment. I love making people happy. I love working with people. I um, also don't like to be on somebody else's schedule (laughs) much. I like to have my own schedule. So I picked real estate. I thought that that would be a good fit for me. It turns out it was. And you know, as soon as I quit that nine to five job, I had been on, uh, I had had um, insomnia for years and I was actually taking medication for insomnia. And, and as soon as I made the switch, I was able to get off that medication because I no longer needed it. But from the outside looking in, it looked like I just quit my job and went into real estate. So it looked like maybe a risky thing that I did, but in the background, what I was really doing, I, I sold my house. I downsized quite a bit. So I took the money and I, and I bought a smaller house for cash. So I didn't have a mortgage, paid down a bunch of bills so that my partner and I could live on one income. And then I went into real estate. So from, from the outside looking in, it looks like I did this huge move and, and it was just totally risky. But uh, me as a risk adverse person, I just, I just did something with a ton of safety nets. That's interesting to, because from the outside it looked one way, but you had been planning and strategizing um, where other people may right. have even seen that for some time. So how long from the time you decided you were going to change, right, to the time it took you to get yourself in a position to downsize, to get where you could actually live on a single income, was that a one month, a one year? What was the kind of time horizon on that? I think that was for about a year. It took about a year um, because when I made the decision, we were totally dependent on two incomes. I mean, we had a car payment, we had the mortgage payment, credit cards, you know, the usual stuff. So it did take some time to, to get to a place where I could write a budget and we could actually live on one income. And I think doing it that way, it freed me up from the need to make money. So that pressure was gone. So 
I think I was actually more successful because I didn't have that pressure of having to perform. I could do, I could make it fun. It was, it really a fun, fun career for me. Then I, uh, you know, after I'd practiced in the field for a couple of years, then I decided to go on and get my brokerage license. And then after I did that, then it just became clear, you know, all these entrepreneurial plans I've had for years and years and years. Now is the time. Okay, everybody, that wraps this episode of the No Labels, No Limits podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed it. It was fun for me to go back through the archives and pull some clips for you. And I'm going to do that again next week. But just remember that when you are feeling like the road uphill is a little steep and you're not sure you've got the energy to get there, there are lots of us walking that same road with you. So just look over your shoulder. Someone's going to be bringing up the rear for you or look just a little bit ahead and catch the... um, tailwind of someone in front of you and just borrow a little bit of their energy as you keep going, because we don't want to miss what you bring to the world. So with that, thank you very much. And I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.